Hey, Creepsters. This is Angel. And Jennifer from Texas. We love all spooky stuff. You're listening to the latest episode of A Paranormal Chick's Sinister Sightings with Donna and... Carrie. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 151. And you just heard Angel and Juniper. How freaking cute, adorable, all the things. Texas. Right? So good. And like, even said my name so great. Like, of usually, co- of course. No, no, no. But like, usually kids have a hard time saying Carrie. Like, that's a hard yeah. name. It's the, all the R's. Tell me about it. I have a hard time saying it sometimes. I know. You say Carrie. <laughs> Well, if y'all want to try to follow up that duo, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast and sign up for the Creepinati and you get an intro, you get stickers, you get all kinds of things. Oh yeah. And lots of episodes. All right. Let's jump right in. I've been thinking about writing in my few sinister sightings for a while since I started listening to your show religiously and never really thought they would be worth it, but I don't want Carrie to worry about running out of stories, so I figure I'd do my part. But first, I have to tell you, Carrie, that I feel we are kindred. I, too, am ADHD and ADD combined. Woohoo! Hit the attention deficit jackpot. And so many things you say are so relatable, and I find myself giggling along with you because I know the feeling of thoughts sometimes not coming out the way you'd like, or others thinking you've just said some off-the-wall shit. <laughs> That has nothing to do with the conversation because your mind has already thought of 20 different scenarios and speedily analyzed them all when the other person has been thinking about just the one thing, which was a trip when I realized that not all people think like I do. I'm also super clumsy, which I attribute to the old ADD, and I feel like I understand your sense of humor because when others find it difficult to understand you, sometimes you have to be amused by yourself and others to keep from being upset with yourself. At least that's how I feel. Maybe I just totally projected onto you. If so, my bad. (laughs) No, uh, I concur. I was about to say, no, that's 100% her. (laughs) Now, Donna, I wanted to tell you that I love how you and Carrie interact with each other. It's a lot like my bestie and I because she just completely accepts me for who I am and I do the same with her. It's true love. And I have to tell you that every single time you say human beings, it tickles me because it sounds like you're saying human beings and it brings up images of adorable little bean people in my mind. Has anyone ever told you before about how you say beings or is it just me? No, no one said that, but I, yeah. Also, look, (laughs) come to find out, I don't say arguing correctly. No. I never knew that. I always say arguing or argument. I'm like, you say the G? Argument? That sounds ridiculous. Lindsay and her husband were listening to an old episode Sunday, and they said that they heard it, and Lindsay was like, whoa, wait, go back, because this is like episode like 40-something, you know? And she said, no, it was there. How have we not noticed? (laughs) Apparently, you say the G. Maybe I was trying to make arguing like often because you're not supposed to say the T, Donna. 
Okay, on to the story. Okay, I really only have a couple of stories that I can think of. I've had a lot of creepy paranormal-ish experiences where things felt off, but nothing really happened. Like when I basically had insomnia from eighth grade through high school, and I would be lying down at around three in the morning feeling like something was in the room with me. Oh, I had a pretty scary sleep paralysis event when I was in eighth grade, so maybe that's why I couldn't sleep well after that. Okay, maybe I have a few stories for y'all. Around that same time, and before the really scary sleep paralysis happening, one night I remember being completely exhausted and falling into bed on my tummy and immediately into a deep sleep. I don't know how long after, but I kind of awoke because it felt like my soul was being sucked out of my body. It felt like it was still attached to me at the base, but the rest of it was trying really hard to leave me. And I remember being so tired that I couldn't move, but I fought, fought, fought it and finally woke up and my soul went swoop and sucked back into my body. Again, I couldn't move because I was exhausted, so I fell back asleep, and the same thing happened a few more times until it finally didn't anymore. The sleep paralysis that scared the shit out of me when I was in eighth grade... I was going through stress, if that matters. A crazy incident happened while my mom was out of town when my stepfather at the time and I got into an argument as usual, and he told me he hated me, and I called my best friend who heard me crying on the phone and immediately asked, what did he do now? When I told her he and I were fighting because she knew how things were at home for me, he came into the room to tell me to get off the phone, and I did. Too many details, I blame the ADHD, sorry. But a little while later, I called my dad and he heard me crying, and in the middle of a sentence, my stepdad cut the phone line and it went dead. It was this big ordeal, but I ended up using my mom's phone. She lived in a mother-in-law suite type of thing and had her own phone line because I begged her to let me call my dad. When she finally let me, I called him again. His girlfriend at the time answered and said, oh honey, as soon as the phone went dead, he left. He's coming to get you. Yay for my dad. Anywho, I ended up moving in with my dad in the middle of my eighth grade year and henceforth was very stressed out. So my room at his house was super dark, no windows, and I usually slept on the couch when I would go over there, but I decided to start sleeping in my own room when I moved in. So picture it. I'm in my pitch black bedroom, I fall asleep on my back, and I remember being really, really tired this time too, and fell asleep as soon as my head hit the pillow. Sometime later, I woke up to the feeling of pressure like somebody was straddling me and leaning over into my face. I couldn't see anything at first, but then it was like my eyes adjusted a little bit, and then looking up, all I saw was the whites of someone's eyes get really big as he slash it put his fingers up to his lips and said, shh. That was the time I learned what being paralyzed with fear felt like. I was trying to yell, but couldn't get anything out except a whisper as I lied there unable to move my body. And for some reason, I was trying to yell mommy, even though I was at my dad's, which is also weird because I don't really have a loving mom, but I guess sometimes we just want our mommy. Yeah. I don't know how long I laid there trying to will myself to move. When I finally was able to, I jumped up and it took maybe three leaps to get to my dad's room where I was banging on the door and yelling that someone was in the house. He jumped up and out of his sleep, he grabbed his gun and was ready to go check the sitch out. He went to my room and checked there and the whole house and nobody was there and there weren't any signs that somebody was. So that was pretty terrifying. I can still remember what that fear felt like. 
oh my God, now I see why people apologize for their stories being so long because it feels like I've been typing this out forever. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize that this is such a lengthy email. It kind of annoyed me a little when other people would apologize for it, but now I get it and understand and feel a little bad for being annoyed and rolling my eyes. By the way, here's a segue that kind of has nothing to do with much, but my friends and I have long claimed our Golden Girls soul sister, and not to blow my own for tube and flugen, I am an almost total rose with some Sophia that comes out when I'm feeling a little feisty. Now, Bessie is 100% Sophia, and I have another friend who is Blanche Devereaux as a real person, and I love them so much. We are all pretty fun people. I hope I did your rose justice. <laughs> For tube and flergen. That's how she, I don't know. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know when I'll make time to write again, so I'll end with another quick story about the Myrtles. I live in Louisiana, about 30 to 45 minutes from St. Francisville and the Myrtles. I have a fun friend. She's not my official Blanche friend, but she definitely has some of her charming traits, who loves finding costumes and dressing up and doing photo shoots, of which she asked me to shoot. So one night, her boyfriend and her ended up staying the night there in the main house, I think. It was where there was a staircase and the mirror people talked about and the piano. Anyway, they had it to themselves. My friend found 19th century type period costumes and invited me to come photograph her wearing them in the house. It was nighttime when I headed over there and brought my daughter along, who was maybe 10. For detail purposes, I will describe my daughter as hilarious and silly, but also extremely shrewd and a realist, not someone prone to fanciful daydreams like myself. She's basically one of those kids that sometimes acts like the parent. She's the oldest of five. Some of those kids are her dads from his second marriage after our divorce. And I'm the baby of four, so maybe that plays into our personality somehow. I'm the baby of four also. Me too, me too. Yeah, but she's more like me, so. So we arrive at the plantation at about 9.30 at night, and when we get out of the car, I looked out at the land to my left where there were several oak trees and felt compelled to walk into them and check it out. It was dark and a little steamy outside with a bit of fog low to the ground. I hooked my arm through my daughter's like, come on, let's explore a little bit. She was reluctant. I didn't know when we would ever have the chance to explore a supposedly haunted place when it's dark and there's nobody else around the grounds, so I pulled her along with me. I didn't know what it was, but there was definitely some energy there once I stepped onto the grass. It felt like a little more than just the thrill of something being spooky. As we stepped further into the trees, my excitement was pretty high, and I don't know how to describe the feeling, except that there was a lot of energy in those trees and on the land. We don't get too far in when my daughter stops us and says, nope, and forces me to turn around and head back to the parking lot. Of course, I went with her. I'm not that mean. I just thought she was creeped out because she knows the stories of the place. She didn't say much except, nope, uh uh-uh, and that was about it. We did shoot my friend, and while we were standing near the stairs on the wall opposite the mirror, there were some French doors, I believe, that led into the gentleman's parlor. Is that even a thing? I may have just made that up. But I believe it was a parlor room, but it was closed off to the public, and the doors were locked. My friend was standing facing me with her back to the doors, and we both heard and saw the doorknob just turning on its own back and forth, and the door shook like someone was just casually trying to open them. It was so weird. We both just looked at each other with wide eyes and both said, did you affirmed we both saw and heard that and just carried on with the shoot? So maybe a year or so later, my daughter and I were discussing ghosts or something. And she reminds me of when I made her go into the woods and she saw that little girl. Here's where I gave her the skirt and excuse me, ma'am. What is this little girl you speak of? 
She says, you don't remember when we were walking into the trees, saw that kind of bright, glowy little girl peeking from behind the tree, and that's why she stopped in her tracks, said, nope, and made us turn around and go back. She thought I had seen it too, and she just never talked about it until then. This speaks to our personality differences, because if I had seen that, I probably wouldn't have shut up about it. She said she felt like the girl wanted us to come to her. I definitely felt that intense energy, and I'm postulating that that came from the girl. Okay, I've taken up a lot of time. I'm starting to annoy myself, so I'm going to stop here. Creep it real, ladies, and don't wander around the grounds of the Myrtle at night alone, or do if you're into experiencing that kind of thing. Thank you for being a friend, Lacey. Can I just say that you said, and we shot my friend, but I know that you were talking about photo shoots. Yeah. But it was just so funny. And then we shot my friend. Okay. She's fine. Did a great job. Smiled through the whole thing. <laughs> you write just like I freaking write. Mm-hmm. We are the same human. And yes, that does speak to y'all's personalities because me and Donovan like, oh my God, did you see the girl? Oh my God, the girl was doing this and she was doing that and then she was flowing and then she did this and then did you see her do this? And then she had that energy that when we pulled to her, oh my God. Well, if someone said, nope, I'm like, what? Why? Where? We would die because I'm, wait, tell me what it is right now. Yeah, tell me before we go so I can just see. <laughs> Also, your sleep paralysis, uh-uh. no thank you. Uh-uh. No thank you. And also, fuck your stepdad for telling you that he hates you. Yeah, and then cutting the phone line and stuff. I'm glad your dad got you out of that situation. Sounds like your mom ended it too, so good for her. Yes. The next one is prophetic dreams, death, and sleep paralysis. Hey there, you two beautiful badass ladies. As a new listener, turned on to you guys by the almighty Mr. Patrick Hines, I'm in love with you two and the stories you share. You give voice to your listeners, and I'm hoping that my voice will be heard. This may be a bit long because it's part of a lifetime of creepy shit, so I have to set the tone for this. Let's start off with this. I am from a very small Revolutionary War town located literally in the center of South Carolina. Being a town that only has 1,600 residents, two red lights, and a Piggly Wiggly, it is inevitably true that everyone knows everyone. My mother was a town florist, so we legit knew every single resident of our small town and where they lived. My mother became friends with many of the local embalmers and funeral home directors through providing flowers for funerals. So close that she named me after one of their wives because she loved how he said her name. The funeral homes will come back full circle in just a bit. Okay, so my mom befriended an elderly lady in town that we called Granny Moore. She was in her late 70s and was this amazingly tall, kind-faced woman. Granny Moore kept my sister and I after we got out of school each day and if we were ever sick. She taught us how to cook, make the best sweet tea, and sew. When I was 11, my mother got the call that we all dreaded. Our Granny Moore had passed in her sleep from a stroke. Funeral plans were made, Mama did all the flowers, and they were absolutely beautiful. The night before the receiving of friends and family, I was sleeping in mine and my sister's room when all of a sudden I became paralyzed in my sleep. Mind you, before this, I had no recollection of any dreams and my mother confirms I never mentioned dreams or anything of the sort as a kid. As I lay there paralyzed in my dream, a young girl appeared. I recognized her, but not in the way of like, I know her, but in the way of a familiar face. The young girl was dressed in an old-timey school uniform, black skirt, black vest, white baby doll, collared shirt, high white socks, and those shoes that are black and white and look like bowling shoes. The little girl spoke to me in a voice that I recognized. It was my granny Moore. 
She said these exact words. This is your Granny Moore as a kid. I'm 11, like you. Still paralyzed, now with fear, she told me not to be afraid. She said she was okay and that she looked so young because when you're in transition to the afterlife, you revert to the age that you first remember being the happiest time of your life. The last thing she said was to let everyone know that when she passed, she felt no pain. When I finally woke up, I took a loud gasping breath and let out a cry. So loud it woke up my sister and mom. It was 1135 right on the dot. I told my mom what happened and she reassured me that Granny Moore was only trying to reach out to someone she loved to let them know that she was okay. I cried for a little longer because I was just so unsure of what happened and finally went back to sleep. The next morning, we got ready for the receiving of friends for my Granny Moore. I was still shaken up from the night before, so I couldn't really get a good grasp on the day. Just felt very off, you know? Once we got to the funeral home, I started to feel sick. I'd seen dead people before, but never someone I was so close to. When I walked through the doors, I felt an instant sensation of calm. As I walked up to my Granny Moore's casket, I could hear her repeating that she was okay. I smiled and knew that she was there with me. After talking with friends and family, my mother talked to the funeral home director. He told her that around 11.30 the previous night, as they were setting up for the funeral, all of the power shut down in the building except for one lamp placed on the table where the photo of my Granny Moore sat. The photo, old and weathered, was of her in her old school uniform. Long white socks, black and white shoes, smiling. The director said it was the weirdest thing that has ever happened to him in his 25 years of running the funeral home. My mother and I just smiled. I know this was long, and for that, I apologize. Thank you, ladies, for the constant laughs and entertainment. I can't wait to share part two of my prophetic dreams, death, and sleep paralysis with you guys. Creep it real, Caroline. Well, that's really scary to wake up and be, like, paralyzed, but how freaking sweet. That she came and like reassured you and everything. And then you got that added like, oh, there's a photo of the ghost I saw. Like at the exact same time too. Uh I wonder if that's true that you revert to the first time that you were happy. I was going to ask you like, what would be yours? I have no idea. Me neither. I feel like most of my childhood memories, I was like eight But I don't know that I would say that was like my happiest. It was kind of like a calm before the storm, before some like family stuff. So I don't know if maybe that's why, like I just remember it fondly, you know? Yeah. There's this one picture and I always picture this when I think about my childhood and I'm in this blue like jumper, like a sweatshirt and sweatpants and it had like a line of Care Bears on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Loved Care Bears. Also, because I was shaped like one, but whatevs. But I'm on my brother's back. Like, he's on all fours. I'm on his back. And we're, like, just laughing. But that was at a hotel when we went to see my dad when he docked from being gone offshore. But I remember that. Yeah. So much. So maybe that. Yeah. You got that Care Bear stare down. (laughs) All right, the next one is called Too Close to a Predator. And they started off saying, sorry, this will be long. Hey, y'all, I emailed you before with the synopsis of the Yosemite killer and a murder in my hometown. I wasn't planning on sending this story in as it gives me anxiety and panic attacks, but I found that talking about it really helps. So here we are. When I was in the seventh grade, I was introduced to an extracurricular club called Science Olympiad by a friend. 
That summer, I signed up and became part of the team. This club was also a class, so my third period was just me making friends and goofing off for the most part. I memorized everyone's names and made tons of friends, which was hard as I'm kind of shy and I was severely depressed at the time. The teacher, who for now we will call Mr. T, was by far my favorite teacher yet. He was nice, easy to talk to. We were sitting in class one day. I was brushing up on fossils and chemical reactions while my best friend was doing something with another guy in the class. Mr. T came up to me, asked how things were going, and asked the other basic teacher stuff like need help with anything, understanding things all right, all that. He eventually said, well, what's your number so I can update you on study dates and competitions? Red flag, y'all. But my young, sweet, naive self didn't see that. I ended up telling him, you have my school email, you don't need my number. With a little giggle to seem less awkward, IDK, but this man just said, oh yeah, and walked away. He didn't talk to me the rest of the class either, or in earth science class I had with him. I know, totally geeky, but space is my shit. Fast forward about two weeks, my best friend told me she had to leave the class because she didn't have time for it with volleyball. Me being full of anxiety and still adjusting to this whole nerd fest, decided if she wasn't staying, I wasn't either. I told Mr. T that something came up and couldn't do science Olympiad anymore, lying so that it didn't hurt his feelings. He seemed real bummed. He hugged me and said that he understood. We left it at that. Skip to first period the next day when I had the other class with him. Mr. T said he has some bad news. He says him and his wife are thinking about getting a divorce and that he isn't himself right now and he apologized. We all apologized for this shitty situation, not thinking too much about how weird it was him telling us. Mr. T would come talk to me about how depressed he was and how bad his anxiety was for the rest of the year. I would also spend some lunches alone with him in his classroom to talk, goof around, along with stay after school and hang out with him. He constantly needed validation from female students, and I gave it to him. Anyway, this is already really long, so I'ma just get to the point. He was arrested December 5th, 2019 for kidnapping one of my classmates. He had been grooming her for a while, going to her house, emailing her, texting her, etc. He picked her up from her house, brought her to school, which was shut down because of COVID, and put her in a bin and wheeled her into the school unnoticed. He then brought her to his classroom, locked the door, and she freaked. She thought he was going to rape her, and he later admitted he thought they were ready for their relationship to become sexual. His laptop consisted of thousands of downloaded videos of child pornography, more specifically young teen girl underdeveloped. His phone showed that he had been texting 11 other girls, along with emailing sexually related things to three. This man's name is Lucas Sloan Talley. He taught at Mount Middle School for 12 years. He quit a week before his arrest trying to leave the state. Sorry this was so long, but I needed to say something. You can use my name, Riley. Whoa. Holy shit. Props to your fucking gut instincts being like, yeah, you've got my school email address. You don't need that. Because I'd have been like, oh, okay, here it is. Me too. Me too. If you have any authority over me, I'm like, okay. Which is exactly what they want, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what they're banking on. Yeah. Which is how he was texting 11 other girls. That's so scary. And that's so messed up. I wonder if she was like, wait, why is he taking me in a barrel again? Or she just didn't understand like the whole thing, period. Right. I don't know. Well, I'm really glad that he was arrested. Yes. And I'm glad that your instincts kept you safe too. This next one is titled Sinister Stalking. 
Hey ladies, I love listening to your podcast. I listen every day at work. I love the mix of true crime and paranormal. Well, I thought I would share my story about being stalked. It's pretty long, so I apologize. To start, we will call my stalker S. I had known him since elementary school, so when we got to our sophomore year in high school and he asked me out, I felt safe dating him. This was in 2012. We dated for 10 months, and it was a fairly normal teenage relationship, except that he was a little possessive. He then turned his sights on a couple of other girls and broke up with me. A few days after the breakup, he decided he wanted me back, and I wasn't having that, so that's when things really started to get out of hand. He would quote-unquote, walk me to my classes, then not allow me to go in because he had to, quote, tell me something, but he would never tell me this thing. He would skip his classes to sit outside my class in case I would leave to go to the bathroom or the school store. At the end of the day, he would miss his bus to wait for me to get done with rehearsal three hours later. He would leave notes or gifts on my car or in my backpack, show up at my job on weekends or evening, walk miles from his house to mine in the middle of the night just to stare at my house. He was also texting me hundreds of times a day and calling and leaving voicemails of nonsense. He told me if I stopped talking to him, he would kill himself and it would be my fault. He also had some of our friends on his side saying that this was my fault and I was going to make him kill himself. Well, I fought with this all the way through my senior year. It lasted 17 months after we broke up. My school kept telling me not to get a restraining order because it would be more work for them because they would have to enforce it while we were on school property. They said they would just handle it internally and keep him away from me. So stupidly, I listened to the school, but they never kept him away from me. I was never safe at school. While all of this other stuff is going on, S also has a new girlfriend who he is constantly talking to about me and telling her things about me. He would use her phone to text me and call me and use her social media to contact me. He would also rape her and call her my name during it. He tried to get her pregnant so he could name the baby Brianna or Brian after me, thinking that would get me back. Her and I are friends now, so that's how I know about this. His thing was that he always had to tell me something that was very important that he couldn't just text, so I had to see him. So on a beautiful, sunny, warm April day in 2014, he convinced me to come to his house after I got off work so we could talk. He said it was the last time. We sat in my car in his driveway, but while I was there, he wanted me to perform a sexual act on him. I refused. So he reached over with his right hand and grabbed me by the throat, pushing me back into my seat. He started strangling me, and with his left hand, he turned my face so he could kiss me. He continued this for what felt like forever, but was probably only a minute. I was so close to blacking out. I had tunnel vision, and I was fighting against him as much as I could. I still, to this day, don't know why he stopped. I had bruises on my neck and face after it was all over, but I was too afraid to ever tell anyone. I finally started telling family and friends what happened to me a couple of years ago, and by that point, it was too late to do anything because the statute of limitations had passed. Finally, the June after I graduated high school in 2014, I found him waiting for me outside my job at 10 at night. Luckily, I had called my mom that night while doing closing tasks because I had a bad feeling. So I was on the phone with her when I was walking out. Who knows what would have happened if I hadn't been on the phone with her. This was the last straw. He didn't drive either, so he had to walk miles to get there. 
I finally got a restraining order, which caused some mutual friends to come after me saying that I was ruining his life. I should just ignore him, that if I didn't want to talk to him, like I didn't try that, and that I was going to make him kill himself. Anyway, he broke the restraining order a few times specifically by showing up to my jobs around closing, but the police didn't do anything. I couldn't get proof that he was there and his friends always claimed that they were with him at the time I saw him at my job. It started to make me feel like I was insane and that and that I was seeing people that weren't there. When the restraining order expired after two years of having it, he messaged me apologizing and saying he turned to God. He claimed he was different and asked if there was anything he could do to fix what he had done. I told him to leave me alone and never speak to me again. He stopped texting me then saying he wouldn't contact me again. I hoped it was finally the end. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. Fast forward to just after my 21st birthday in 2017. S started texting me, but pretended to be someone else that my friend had given my number to. Since we had just been out to a few bars for the evening, it made sense that someone could have given out my number. He made up this whole story and fake person named James. I talked to him for a couple of weeks and got lots of info about my current life, like where I lived, worked, what car I drove, etc. Looking back, I think, why would I share that much info with who I thought was a stranger But when you're getting to know someone, you ask questions that seem innocent at the time. However, one night, S started texting me saying, I'm not actually James, I'm S. We should be together. If I hadn't fucked up, we would be married now and have two kids. We're meant to be together. The next day, I went to the court and got a new restraining order against him. In 2019, he was arrested for strangling another woman. He strangled her over a fight about God. Due to COVID, the trial was pushed off for over a year. He pled guilty right before the trial. I was supposed to testify against him in the trial as a character witness against him and tell my story about being strangled by him. I was honestly terrified of being in the same room as him again. However, he will be sentenced in a few months for that charge. I got married in January of 2021. The day before and the day of the wedding, I was getting a bunch of unknown calls. I would answer and there would be no response on the other side, just breathing. No voicemails were ever left if I didn't answer. I even had my husband try to answer a few of the calls and whoever would just hang up right away. I know it was S again, but I have no proof. To get another restraining order, I have to be able to prove that he is still stalking me and currently I have no proof, so that's where I'm currently at. I have spent the last nine years of my life looking over my shoulder, jumping when the phone rings, thinking I'm going insane, losing friends, and being blamed for it all. I like to think that I've come out of all of this stronger, but some days I wonder. I hope that there won't be many updates and this is the end of this horrible saga, but if there is, I will let you ladies know. Also, I just want to say for anyone going through a stalking situation, document absolutely everything. Save every text, every letter, screenshot how many times they called. Try to have people walk you to your car or to class so they can say if the person was there. Have people stay in your house with you, etc. Document, document, document. Even if it seems small and unimportant, document it. The police and court won't believe you until you have proof of stalking behavior, so document everything. Sorry this was so long. Thank you for keeping me entertained every day. Creep it real. Brianna from Minnesota. Yes, you can use my name. Holy shit. 
That is so scary. I mean, how are you supposed to prove who it is when they're calling from like a fake number? Yeah. And things now are so easy to spoof your number and all of that. That's terrifying. And I'm so sorry that you went through that and are still going through it. But I'm so sorry that people you thought were your friends were telling you that it was your fault. Yeah. It's fucking not. It's not at all. I mean, I know I've said this 8 billion times, but you are not responsible for someone else's behavior. I'm just so sorry. But I'm so happy that you did find happiness and you got married. Congrats on that. I don't know. Like, it's so frustrating because you do. You have to document everything. And it's like, I mean, can the police help a little bit, please? I mean, I don't know how. I know. It's so hard. And also, it's like, you don't want to document this stuff because then you're having to live it over and over and over again. And all of that, because I know when I see screenshots, I look at my phone and all of that. Like, I don't want to see that. But you're right. Document everything. I've documented some pretty shady texts that like a guy sent me before. And I just created a folder for it on my Google Drive so I could just get it off my phone because I was like, I can't. I can't look at those anymore. Yeah, that's true. Also, shame on your school. Yes. Fuck them. It's like everywhere you turned, they were failing you. Yeah. School, police, friends, mm-hmm. uh, air quotes around friends, because if they're siding with him and saying you're leading him to all of that, fuck them. And what about that shit he was doing to that girl that she's friends with now? What the fuck? That is next level. That, oh my gosh. Okay, the next one. Sinister Sightings, George. Hey, ladies. I love listening to y'all's podcast on my long drives to work in the mornings. I'm surprised I haven't been pulled over for swerving because I'm laughing so hard. Oh, God. Be careful, but LOL. (laughs) Also, when me, Donna, and Tiffany didn't have a fourth when we were like in high school and beginning of college and we would play spades and we'd have to deal out like a fourth person. We always called him George. True story. I have a few paranormal stories, but one really sticks out and still haunts me. While I was in high school, I had a friend who bragged about her haunted house. I was the one who loved the creepy, scary shit and didn't think it was too spooky. Boy, was I wrong. I used to stay at her house a lot and we would sleep in the basement because it had more room than her bedroom. The basement was located directly under the living room so you could always hear the people upstairs. Her dad had a recliner that was so loud it was hard to ignore and got pretty annoying. Carrie had one of those too. I'm just saying I'm never having a sectional again because one, I miss my rocking chair and two, you cannot lay down on a sectional. One night, my friend and I were having a sleepover. We did the typical teenage shit where we would stay up way too late, eat way too many snacks. It was around 2 a.m. when we started hearing some movement upstairs. It was just us and our parents in the house, and they were heavy sleepers, so we knew it wasn't them. I looked at my friend, kind of confused, and she said, oh, that's just George. He does this shit all the time. Me being a full believer, I just brushed it off and thought, well, as long as he doesn't mess with me, I won't mess with him. Well, a little while later, we were still up and heard the recliner start violently rocking back and forth. It was so loud and fast that there was no way it was a person causing this noise. They don't know how hard I can rock in a rocket chair. Once it finished rocking, I looked over at my friend with saucers for eyes. After we stared at each other for a minute, we finally decided to go to bed and not fret about it. Let's just say I didn't sleep well that night. The next morning, we went upstairs and talked to her parents about what happened. Her mom brushed it off and her dad said, hmm, sure. This was an expected reaction, so I wasn't surprised. What happened next, though, still haunts me to this day. 
That morning, after we talked to her parents, I decided I was going to take a shower before I headed home. The upstairs bathroom was really long and narrow, so the shower was nowhere near the door. Because of this, I locked the door behind me, thinking my friend would turn the lights off on me while I'm taking a shower. Typical prankster shit. I go about my shower with no suspected pranks and sighed with relief. As I'm getting out of the shower, I grabbed a towel and start walking towards my clothes. That's when I saw it. On the fogged mirror was a single handprint so large it could fit three of my hands in it. I was mortified. I froze for a moment to process everything. After about a minute of staring at this giant ass handprint, I sprinted for the door, still only wearing a towel. I was sopping wet and ran past my friend's entire family looking like a chicken with its head cut off. Everyone asked me what happened through my panicked voice. All I could say was mirror. My friend went to the bathroom and saw there was nothing there. Her parents thought I was nuts, but she believed me about what happened. So at least I'm not too crazy. Easy to say we had sleepovers at my house after that. Sorry this was so long, but I've been listening for a while now and always wanted someone to tell it to who would possibly believe me. Keep up the good work, ladies, and remember, creep it real and don't get scared, Amber. Also, my husband and I have been taking Ambien for years now and have many great stories. Let me know if you want to hear some. Thanks again for all your hard work. Um, Amber, of course we want Ambien stories. We would love to end every single one of these episodes with an Ambien story because they are our fucking favorite. Yeah, we love ambient stories. Mm-hmm. Also, though, we love stories like this, too, because you're finally able to get it all out. And we're all going to be like, yeah, no, that sounds legit. Yeah, that fucking sounds legit. And I don't want to mess with George. I don't want him to, quote, carry on this. Fuck with my sleep. Hell no. And I definitely don't want him to come play cards with us. <laughs> and I don't want him to fuck with my shower. You don't want to be doing shit up in the shower. <laughs> Just kidding, kind of. And no wonder we're all so fucked up because we did some shit to each other growing up. That is some shit one of us would do. You're in there. We're going to come in and turn the light out on you. 100. 100. When it's like this long shower that you can't just like pop your arm out and turn the, you know, turn the light back on. (laughs) No wonder we're all so fucked up and untrusting. (laughs) Distrusting. Whatever trusting. We don't trust each other. We don't have trust. In no one we trust. Next one is Visitors in Dreams. Hey, beautiful ladies. I've been listening to you guys for a few weeks now. Thanks so much, Patrick Hines. Oh my God, us too. We love Patrick Hines. Yes, we do. I love y'all's podcast so much. And yes, I'm a pizza too, but aren't we all? Anyways, I have listened and been listening, trying to get through all of your podcasts, and I keep telling myself, I'm going to send in mine. I'm going to tell y'all some of my dreams that I've had, but I ain't good at storytelling, so bear with me. So I grew up in a small town in Texas, and my grandparents and great-grandparents lived in the same small town as well. My great-grandfather was one I was close to as a kid. When any of us were sick, my brothers, cousins, or myself, we would go stay with our great-grandparents while our parents worked so someone would take care of us. Well, my great-grandfather got sick when I was like in 6th or 7th grade. It was super hard on all of us. He was the one with our granny who took care of us. I could go on and on about them both. Anyway, skip ahead to early 2000. I was pregnant with my daughter. At the time, we had no idea what we were having. Her dad and I were young and we still lived with our parents. Well, this particular night, he had stayed the night with me. It was late and being fat and pregnant, all I wanted to do was sleep, so we crashed for the night. A little later, I'd been asleep for hours, I guess. Well, I felt someone shake my feet. 
I thought it was my boyfriend. Well, it wasn't. I rubbed my eyes and looked again and it was my great grandfather. I asked him why he was holding a baby. He told me she was mine and that she would have blonde hair and hazel eyes and be just perfect. Remember, I said I didn't know what I was having yet. I told him I didn't know what I was having and he said, you'll see, you'll be having a little girl. And then he just left. I went back to sleep and really didn't think twice because I thought maybe something I ate just made me have a weird dream. The next morning, I told my mom and she said, well, we'll find out soon what you're having. Sure enough, I was having a girl. In August, when she was born, she had blonde hair and hazel eyes, just like he had said. He watched over my daughter and made sure she came to me safely. I'm just sure of it. So my next story is about my mom's dad. My papa and his family loved dominoes and they played all the time and those games got nuts. My papa had a total, counting him, 13 siblings in all. I didn't know all of them, of course. All I knew was from stories over the years that he had told us. Well, unfortunately, he passed away when my daughter was three years old. A few years after he passed, I was asleep and I was in my grandparents' house and my papa, along with one of his sisters and two brothers were in the kitchen playing dominoes. My papa was holding a baby and I asked him whose baby that was and he told me it was one of my cousin's baby girl and told me that he was going to take care of her. Well, the next day when I woke up, I again told my mom about the dream and we were going to see my grandma a few days later. My mom said she wanted to know which of her uncles and aunt was in my dream. So when we went to visit, she pulled out old photos as we were telling my grandma my dream. One of the photos had all four of them in it. Now, I should say the uncles and aunt I thought they were, I was wrong. The ones in my dream matched the photo and my mom said they all passed before I was even born, so I didn't know them. That was so weird to me how much they looked like my great uncle and aunt I did know, but they were the ones that had already passed that were in my dream. My grandma called my mom's sister to tell her about the dream because the baby my grandpa was holding in the dream was her son's baby. They had just found out that my cousin's wife had a miscarriage and he was holding her and watching her for them. Okay, so yes, all mine are in dreams. Sorry, but the ones who pass on seem to only come to me in my dreams. I have one more and maybe we'll write back again about the little girl who lived in our office at my old job. So again, I was sleeping one night and my best friend's mom came to me. She had passed on maybe a year before my dream. She would come to me and it was strange with her. It would be just like a floating head. She kept telling me to tell my friend to check her nightstand drawer. Well, I of course just brushed the dream off and then a few nights later I had a dream that I was with my friend at her parents' house. Need to say, I have never been in her parents' room at all. I have been in the rest of the house, just not their room. Well, in the dream this night, my friend and I were walking through her house and we went to her parents' room. Like the door opened and my friend was gone. It was just me walking in and I walked around the bed to the nightstand. Then her mom was there in the air like before the floating head telling me to tell her to check the nightstand. There's something in there for her and her sister. But this time she was angry because I hadn't told her yet. So the next day I told her and she told me I'm going over to my parents now. So I'll call you when I get there. She called me because no one was there and she said, Okay, I'm walking in the room and she walked to the nightstand and there were two rolls of coins, one with her name and one with her twin's name on it. 
They were special coins, if I remember correctly, rare ones. Her mom worked at a bank. My friend told me that there was no reason I would have ever checked her nightstand and there's no way that you would have known. She just burst into tears and so did I. I don't know why people who pass like to come to me when I'm asleep, but they do. I hope these weren't too long and you can break them up and read them in a different podcast if you need to. I love listening, so keep reading and telling all of these stories. Oh, one more thing. I ran across the Bernie one from Texas today, and the movie is actually on Tubi. If you haven't watched it, you really should. It's a great movie. Anyways, Creep It Real, my pizza sisters from other misters. Till next time, Angela. Well, as long as these dreams, like, let you sleep, and you just like, oh, wake up refreshed remembering them. (laughs) Right. I'd be down with them. But if I am sleepy because y'all making me work so damn hard in my dreams, can you find another way? Thank you. Also, I love how you were just like, I'm not going to even, like, bother about my friend's mom. And, girl, you know your dreams come true and stuff. No wonder her mom was mad at you. She Mm -hmm. was like, hello, I came earlier. Come on now. Telling everybody else's shit. Come tell mine. (laughs) As soon as they said that they were taking care of that baby, I was afraid that was what was going to happen. Because in the other dreams, they were like, hey, you know, your baby's here. Mm -hmm. Um, They're doing good. But in that specific one, how they said, like, we're taking care of them. Yeah. I was, that made me sad. I know my heart, like, just, oh, when I read it. But that is really sweet to think of your family taking care of. Oh, for sure. The baby and everything. Like, I don't know. that That's very comforting in an odd way. Well, it's a terrible fucking situation. So at least you have people that know, love you, and you trust taking care of things on the other side. Okay, the next one is another stalking. Hey, y'all. I love the podcast and wanted to send another story for y'all. But this time, I want to be known as D. There's some sensitive things that happen in this, including death threats and suicide threats. So just a heads up that it could be a trigger. Sorry if this is long, but I really want to get my story out there. This happened about 11 years ago. I finally got the courage to leave my abusive ex-husband. We'll call him M. He would hit me, push me, degrade me, call me names, say I was worthless, tell me that I couldn't do any better than him. In my mind, I sunk into a deep depression, gained about 80 pounds, and was only allowed to actually speak to one of my friends who lived 2,000 miles away, and he had to be able to read my messages. This led me to feeling like what he said to me was true. I was worthless. I was ugly. And I should be grateful for him to give me a chance. And yes, I ended up marrying this scumbag. After being married a year, life looking bleak, and honestly, I felt like I wasn't living anymore. I couldn't even spend time with family without him being there. And I quote, they don't need to know our business. Literally, all the red flags were there. But I was in this hole for four years. I finally broke free. I said I couldn't do it anymore. And my ex literally cried. He cried. He told me I made him feel worthless and that I was causing him all this pain. And I said, I'm sorry, I just can't do this and walked out of the house. Within 10 minutes, he was texting my phone over and over, calling me all sorts of names, calling me a whore, telling me I was cheating on him, and then going back to begging me to come back, telling me he can't live without me. And then he said if I didn't come back, he would kill himself. I truly hated him. I didn't want him to harm himself or kill himself, but I just couldn't go back. So I called his best friend, told him what happened, and asked if he could go over and talk with him. He said he would. 
I got a call about 15 minutes later saying that the doors were locked and M wouldn't answer his phone. There was no sound coming from the house and that they needed my house key to get inside to check. So I pulled up outside, handed his friend my keys, and then sat in my car until I got word back from his friend. His friend got inside, I heard yelling, and then he came running back out. He said that M was upstairs with all the guns out and he was threatening that he was going to kill me, then kill himself, so I drove away from the house, down the block, and called police. Police went in armed and escorted him out, and I had to go inside and make sure all the weapons in the house that I knew of were found. They took them all. His friend later started to tell me that I was horrible for doing this to him and this and that, when most people don't know the whole story. He went into psychiatric care for a few months. When he came out, we finalized the divorce. Life was looking up. I was in a new relationship, happy and actually living, but he wasn't done yet not fully for a few years. Somehow, he knew my every move. I got a new phone, a new car, moved to a new house. I didn't give any of that info to him, but found out later someone I was close to at the time told him everything. He drove by my house day and night, creeping by, would rev his engine, then burn out in front of my house. He drove by my work when I was working. He drove by my mother's house when I was there. I got remarried a couple of years later, and he was still at it. He made a Facebook account when he previously was against them, then tried adding me, all of my family members, and my closest friends. Then he would message everyone to try to get info, and everyone would just let me know what he was trying to do. And soon after, just about everyone had blocked him, I received an email from him. Three years after our divorce, he was done. He was tired of me avoiding him. He was giving up on us. He called me a few more names and made sure to let me know again that he was the best I could ever have had. Then he left it unsigned. It was so confusing, but also creepy that he was still thinking that there was a chance. I honestly don't know where he is or what he's doing with his life, but I just hope he doesn't do to another what he did to me. I look forward to hearing you all every week. I feel like I can relate to so many of the listeners and you two that it's absolutely comforting. I have only told all of this to two other people, my hubs and my best friend, but I just wanted to get it out there because sometimes you just need to get it out. D. It's so bizarre. They go from, you're the worst and you can never do better than me to being like, I need you, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, pick a lane, motherfucker. However they can manipulate you, that's oh, what they're going to do. For sure. But it's just, I mean, like the extremes. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. It's not funny, but it's funny to me that you're like, I can relate to your listeners. Well, I would say so because we've had a lot of stalking things this this episode. Yeah. God, I couldn't get words out. And it's so true to his, like, narcissistic idea of himself to be like, you know what? I'm done now. Yeah, like... I'm not going to chase you anymore. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. And then to blame you because, you know, certainly couldn't be his fault. Right. All right, last one. This one's demon, question mark. Hey, ladies, love the podcast. Since listening to other people's stories, I figured I should share mine. This one's going to be a long one. I've always had an attraction to the paranormal since I was little. So when my mom accidentally let it slip that my aunt did investigations, I instantly wanted to go with her. I begged and begged, so she finally caved in, even though she said it was a bad one. I was so excited. On the way there, my aunt filled me in on what it was going to be like, but I didn't listen because I was so excited. 
So I was not prepared when I stepped into that house and it literally felt heavy. I can't explain it other than that energy in there felt like it would drag you down to hell with it. We were just looking around upstairs when my aunt's friend W just started acting strange. She wouldn't look at us and was walking around aimlessly. She finally walked down the stairs and went outside and started sobbing. When she finally calmed down, she told us what she saw. She had seen through a mother's perspective, her and her little boy were sitting at the table when her husband got home. His eyes were pitch black. He started beating his wife. She was trying to get away from him by crawling up the stairs. She had crawled all the way up to the room up there when the husband realized why she wasn't holding on. So he turned around and snapped her little boy's neck in front of her. What? Then she gave up. She let him beat her to death. After we calmed her down, we returned upstairs and began everything. All of a sudden, my side started to tingle and it felt like someone was holding on to me. My aunt took out this thing that beeps at different frequencies or something like that. I'm not sure how it works. But sure enough, on my side, at about my hip, it started going crazy. My aunt said the little boy was scared and was holding on to me. I felt scared but honored at the same time that he trusted me. After some time, we decided to turn on the flashlights and turn off the lights. The owners of the home had told us that there was a shadow man that doesn't like the light at the bottom of the stairs. So we decided to test that. Well, some boys that the owners invited over wanted to see too, and they had the flashlights. I will never forget when they turned the lights off, this shadow of a man that was darker than dark around it. It looked like it was seven feet tall just looking at us. We quickly turned the flashlights on and it was gone. But the boys started playing with this thing by turning the lights on, then off, then on, then off. I wanted to push them down the stairs so badly at this thing for doing that. Because this big shadow bent down on all fours and started crawling up the stairs at us. It was like something out of a horror film. All of a sudden, it was standing right next to me and it felt like there was such a huge pressure on my chest, like I was going to be squashed under all of this negative energy that this thing had. My aunt pushed me in front of her and just said, run. When I tell you I flew down those stairs like a goddamn flying squirrel, I did. When everyone was outside of the house, my aunt's friend W said her back was burning. We lifted up her shirt and there were three huge scratches all the way down her back. We were done. My aunt basically told them, call a priest because we're out of here. On the way home, my aunt told me that I did a good job and that I didn't scream or anything. I nervously laughed in response. I will never tell her that I was absolutely shitting bricks and I didn't scream because I was scared so bad and shocked that I was frozen silent. Anyways, ladies, creep it real and thanks for reading this book, Haley. Whew, that's a lot. That is a lot. And those boys, uh-uh. The Zach Bagans of it all. Like, mm-hmm. don't taunt this negative energy, okay? Like, everyone's feeling that it's negative. W's had her little experience. No. Dumbasses. And I'm taking the dog. Dumbass. <laughs> also, I wish there was a video of you running down those stairs when your aunt said, run. Because I picture those TikToks where it's like, run. Run. <laughs> Darren or whatever it goes. Yeah. So, oh my God. I'd, we watch too much together. We really do. But oh my gosh. I would have been like Shaggy, Scooby, all the things like just running in place, Fred Flintstone, and then zoom. I don't know what I would have done other than probably sprain my ankle. 
that's a given. That is a given. Thank y'all so much for these amazing stories. They never freaking disappoint. And the synchronicity of it all. For real. If you want your stories read, you can send them in to us at aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.